Hi, everyone. Welcome to Name Drop San Diego. I'm your host, Christy Totten. Name Drop San Diego is a personality-driven interview podcast that's all about the interesting and influential people who make our region special. We've talked to astronauts, rock stars, athletes, authors, and scientists who are working to find COVID treatments, among others. San Diego really is home to amazing and diverse thinkers and doers. Min Lei is my guest this week. Min writes picture books and comics, and he's a childhood policy expert for the federal government. He's the award-winning author of Drawn Together, Lift, The Perfect Seat, The Green Lantern Legacy, and Let Me Finish, one of NPR's best books of 2016. Min is a graduate of Dartmouth College with a degree in psychology, and he also has an education degree from Harvard. He recently moved to San Diego with his wife, who is from here, and their two sons. Min and I talked about a wide range of topics from writing and inspiration to family and topics like regret. Here's our conversation. Well, Min, thank you so much for joining me on Name Drop San Diego. Uh, The first question I wanted to ask you is about your day job. So you're an early childhood policy expert. What does that entail? Um, Yeah, no, thanks so much for for having me. So yeah, when I'm not writing children's books, um, my job is doing policy for the federal government. So I do specifically childcare policy. Um, and work with a program called the Child Care and Development Fund, which is a federal program designed to help low-income working families pay for childcare because it's so expensive these days. Um, so this is just a, a program that's hoping to get more children into high-quality programs and also helping families um, get back into the workforce, and which is especially important during COVID. I think people really got a sense of like just how important childcare really is. I think a lot of people already knew that, but I think it became um, really clear that it's a a central part of just like the economy and and everything like that. So I was working on that for a long time before moving to San Diego, and I still get to to do that job, which I'm grateful for. Wow, that's amazing. That's so timely. I mean, we've heard the news like through the pandemic, people having to quit their jobs, uh, primarily women, to care for their children during the pandemic. So that's something that you're actually working on. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of COVID relief out there, and um, a lot of that is going to um, child care providers and trying to help families pay for child care. And I know the child care as an industry was hit really hard, so it's trying to help um, kind of stabilize child care as a sector. And so I'm just kind of helping um, with some of the, the supports around that. Very cool. Okay, so in, in addition to doing childhood uh, policy, you are also an author of several children's books. Um, did you always want to write children's books? Um, it's funny. I, I was always really into books. Um, as a kid, I was super quiet and super shy. And um, so I'd always be reading. And um, I think it wasn't until later that I realized that I wanted to, to write stories myself. Um, the way I describe it to people is kind of like, as a reader books were kind of my escape from the world. Um, And now as a writer, they're my way back into the world, right? So it's like, and reading was like a way for me to connect with myself. And now writing is my way to connect with other people, like getting to talk to people like you and getting to connect with kids in schools and teachers. Like it's such a wonderful thing to do. And um, I was so shy as a kid. If you told me this is what I ended up doing now, I wouldn't have believed you. (laughs) But it's it's really fun to, to get to do for sure. How do you apply your um, 
your background. So you have a psychology degree from Dartmouth and an education degree from Harvard. Obviously you use that in your day job, but how do you apply that to the children's books that you write? You know, I, I've read them. A lot of them seem to deal with, um, you know, frustrating feelings and just things that we deal with as, as children. So do, do you apply your educational background to your books? Um, yes, in a way. Um, and given how that I just finished paying off my student loans recently, I'll, my answer will be yes. <laughs> but um, what's funny is that the, the class at Dartmouth that stuck with me the most was an introduction to children's literature class that I took my senior year through the education department. And for me, that was like a way of finally combining all the literary and artistic interests that I had in a format that made sense. And I think because when you're writing for children, you are thinking about psychology in a way um, that it kind of merged all, all of my interests in education, psychology, religion. Um, it's, I'm not sure if I would say that I intentionally used my psychology degree, but um, to the extent that a lot of the themes that come up in psychology do manifest themselves in the stories that you tell for children. I think it, it does. Um, when I talk to people about coming up with stories, a lot of it is like trying to recapture that sense of wonder that you feel as a kid. And I think a lot of that is like that empathetic act of trying to put yourselves in the in the shoes of a child again. Um, so I think in a lot of ways that does kind of come come into play. At least that's what I'll tell myself when I'm looking back at the. <laughs> Well, how do you come up with story ideas? Um, that's a great question. I think for me, they're mostly born out of just like life and my family and everything like Drawn Together, which is a, a book that I wrote is inspired directly by my relationship with my own grandparents. Um, it's about a boy and his grandfather and their struggle to communicate because of a language gap. And there are scenes where they're sitting on the couch next to each other and they don't know how to speak. Um, and those are taken straight out of my childhood, right? And uh, the hope for me was to write a story that both captured the, the depth of love that exists within those relationships, but also the, some of the struggles that come with it. So trying to come up with a story that um, is nuanced and accurate, but is also captivating and has a sense of wonder that I think um, draws children in. And uh, another example is Lift, which is a, a picture book that I wrote about a girl who discovers a magic elevator button. Um, and then when she pushes it, like she finds a button, she brings it home and puts it up next to her closet. And when she pushes it, her closet turns into a magic elevator that takes her to all kinds of magical places. Um, that was the idea for that came up because with my boys, whenever we'd be out, if there's an elevator button, they would like Fight over who gets to push it, right? <laughs> the outside button, the next, the other one has to push the button on the inside, and it was always a thing. Then I started to look around. And I was like, every kid I've ever seen wants to push that elevator button, so that there must be something there. Um, then I remember when I was walking into an elevator with my youngest when he was a like a little baby. Um, I just remember watching his eyes as we walk into the elevator. He's looking around, and the doors close. Then there's that magical ding and his eyes just will open wide. And then when the doors open, we walk out onto this totally different world, right? It was like probably the third floor of a mall or something. But to a baby, I was like, that must be totally magical. You walk into this strange room and you come out and you're somewhere completely different. Um, so the, the next thought was, what would happen if you had an elevator that actually 
be somewhere completely different. Um, and I think for me, that's both trying to capture the, the magic and wonder of the world through a kid's eyes, but then you push it to the next level to kind of replicate that sense of wonder for people who may be a little bit older um, and can still get a sense of that, that kind of like looking at the world in a, and seeing a little bit of magic. Yeah, do you consider adults at all when creating your books? Because, you know, I mean, the reality of like kids' TV shows, movies, books, it's adults there with them, reading it with them. You know, so, you know, like in, in movies, there's always like a couple jokes there for, for the adults. I mean, is that something you take into consideration? I definitely do. And because for me, I feel like a picture book can be enjoyed by a reader of any age, right? Whether you're um, six months old or 60 years old or, or older. Um, so I definitely, my goal is to write a book that has appeal to, to anyone, right? Um, but something that I tell aspiring writers a lot is um, a great picture book can be enjoyed by readers of any age, but for a picture book to be great, it has to appeal to kids. And I think sometimes like creators lose sight of that and they try to be too clever and play too much to the adult audience. And then you just kind of miss the, and then miss the kids in, in the wash, right? So I think I try to keep the entire spectrum of readers in mind, but at the same time, make sure I keep an eye and focus on, on kids when I'm writing. One of the things I thought was so clever about Drawn Together, which you just described is, I mean, most of it is pictures. There are words in there. You know, there's some, some text in Thai, there's some text in English, but actually the words are pretty sparse. It really is just a picture book, which is interesting because anybody could enjoy it, you know, regardless if you can read or not read and regardless of what language you really read. Um, and I noticed that, you know, a couple of your books at least are about the immigrant um, story and about intergenerational relationships. Why was that important to you to tell? Um, for me, it was important because I come from a family of immigrants and refugees. My family's originally from Vietnam. And growing up, I always found it funny because you'd go to the library or you'd go to the bookstore and there'd be this huge section on Vietnam. And I remember getting excited and I'd go in there and it's all about the war and it's all from the U.S. perspective. So you have this realization at some point that um, your community and your people are just context for this American tragedy as far as it's framed within the literary landscape and just like the public consciousness here, right? So for me as an author, it was really special to and important to have the opportunity to put ourselves at the center of the frame again and like kind of like take, reclaim our own identity within this story. Um, and I remember when I was a kid, our parents would take us to the library all the time. And we would be those kids that come to the, <laughs> the circulation desk with a stack of books taller than we are. Um, but then when, it, so we'd always have books around, but when it was time to, to tell stories at bedtime, more often than not, my parents would set the books aside and tell us their own stories, right? Stories about growing up in Vietnam or stories that they heard when they were kids, like um, Vietnamese folk tales and, and things like that. And it wasn't until recently that I realized they were, in a way, had no choice but to become storytellers because the stories they wanted to share weren't on the bookshelf. They weren't in the libraries, they weren't in the bookstores. So in order to share the stories that they wanted to, they had to fill in the gaps that publishing had yet to fill, right? So I feel like, in a way, that um, the effort that my parents put in 
created the foundation for valuing stories and making sure that the stories we wanted to hear and wanted to tell were out there. So now as an author, I get to do similar things and make sure that um, more stories are available for, for kids that, that weren't available for me when I, was, when I was younger. I saw an interview where you said you used to speak Vietnamese when you were younger, you kind of let that go. Um, I know that you're in the process of you know, learning again or brushing up on those skills, but I mean, how has you know, being uh, a Vietnamese person, a Vietnamese American person who doesn't speak Vietnamese um, fluently at least, you know, affected your identity? It's it's been a it's been a journey, <laughs> I'll tell you. Um, and for me, I feel like when I was a kid, I was one of those kids that always really felt caught between worlds. Um, like at school, I was often like the token Vietnamese kid, and at home, I was like the American kid who didn't speak Vietnamese very well. So I always had a sense of um, not being enough, one way or another. And I think a lot of that was internal, like my own kind of like radar going off and like just the way I navigate the world. Um, so for me as an author now, I feel like it took a lot of time to realize that I was comparing my own experience to kind of these like imaginary poles of purity. Like there's a pure American experience, there's a pure Vietnamese experience, and I was falling short on both fronts, right? But over time you realize that there is no such thing as this like 100% pure or authentic experience. And that my experience as a Vietnamese American was and is as valid as anyone else's. And that within the Asian American diaspora, there's so much variation in experience and um, ways of living that they're all correct. They're all valid, right? And as a writer, I feel like a lot of what putting these stories down is, is an exercise in staking claim to that those interstitial spaces between what I had been imagining um, as purely American or purely Vietnamese and kind of like planting a flag and saying like this story, this experience is valid. It has, it has value and, um, and it's not an in-between space. It is what it is. And then I think the hope is that by staking claim and putting those stories out into the world, other children reading now will see that and like have that sense of like, oh, this is my experience and all these varied experiences are are okay and I don't have to apologize for that, right? That doesn't mean I don't want to progress. And like, and like you said, I'm taking Vietnamese now to try to, um, to fill in the gaps that I, or to make up for the things that I've let go of over time. But for so long, I was focusing on the things I had lost or let slip that I was losing track of the things that I still had, right? And then like focusing on the things of value that I do take from my family and my community is kind of like flipping the script from like focusing on the shameful side of things to focusing on like the pride and like how to move forward from there. Um, like I said, it, it's taken a while for me to get to this point, but um, it's a, I'm, I'm much happier with where, where I am now as far as like how I am um, kind of conceptualizing it especially now that like we're drawn together and it's about language. I always joke with kids when I go to see them in schools, I say, you know, if I had a time machine, I would go back and talk to four-year-old Min when, who used to speak much better Vietnamese than I do now and tell them to like, please hold on to your Vietnamese. Like, like hold on to it, cultivate it. It's such a beautiful gift to have. You're going to regret it if you, if you let it go. Um, 
But since I don't have a time machine, the, the next best thing I can do is talk to kids of that age and kids who are younger, kids who are at that crossroads and encourage them to, to hold on to, to language, to develop languages if they're interested in it, especially if they have family who speaks multiple languages because um, it is a wonderful thing to, to have and you're going to feel that loss at some point if you make the same mistakes that I did. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's been a, like I said, it's been a journey, but um, it's, it's one that I definitely have grown to appreciate over time. Well, speaking of time machines, I know that um, your, your grandfather passed away. You dedicated Drawn Together to him. It was basically about your relationship with him um, growing up and not exactly being able to communicate. I mean, did that, the fact that he wasn't able to be there to sort of share in the success, did that take anything away from, from you? Um, it does and it doesn't. On, on the one hand, um, having that book out in the world is interesting because people will ask me all the time, like, so what does your grandfather think about the book? He must be so proud. Um, and the, the sad truth is that I, I won't know how he feels because I never told him about the book. Um, he knew that I was working on it or a book, but I couldn't tell him what it was about. I was like, it's about a kid who doesn't know how to talk to his grandfather. It's like, I don't know even how to, how to explain that to him. Um, so my hope was to hand the finished product to him and have that be how I finally shared this and told him how I felt. That was going to be um, how we've made that bridge and connected. Um, but like I said, he unfortunately passed away before the book came out. He actually went to the hospital the same week I got a first batch of sketches from the illustrator, Dan Santat. So what I did was um, I printed out all the artwork and like folded and cut it, cut it into like a makeshift book and drove up to Connecticut from DC to see him in the hospital um, and was able to read it to him by his bedside while, but he was still in a coma and he never, unfortunately never emerged. So I'll always regret not finding it within myself to share this with him in that way, right? And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an area where I fall, fell short that you can't make that up, right? You can't, you can't go back and, and fix that. Um, but on the flip side, having the book out there and having it um, being so widely read has been a beautiful thing because he has been more present in my life than maybe ever because I'm sharing our story together and um, talking to people about him. And then what's amazing to me is that other people will come up after I read the book and tell me about their grandparents or tell me about their experiences and say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm gonna call my grandparents tonight. We're gonna call our family tonight. Um, and the idea that a book about my inability or the times where I felt short on connecting with my grandfather could inspire others to make that connection is a legacy that I hope he would, and I, I trust and believe that he would appreciate. Um, and something that I talk to people all about is like, especially these days with COVID, like there's, you, there's so much going on in the world. It's like, it's never too soon or too early to tell people how you feel about them and tell, you, tell them that you love them, but it can be too late. So like, there's like no um, sense in waiting for that kind of thing. So. So yeah, it's it's there. There's a lot of regret there, but at the same time, it's 
there's a there's a lot of beauty in that as well. After learning that lesson with your grandfather, did you take it and apply it to anyone else in your life? Is there anyone you picked up the phone and called, you know, to 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 try to avoid making this uh, mistake again? Um, well, one thing is that my my grandmother on my mom's side, she still lives in Vietnam, and she is 98 years old now. And for a while, she said like one of her greatest wishes is to be able to hold her great grandchildren because we're all over here, and making a family trip to Vietnam is a, a heavy lift, especially with little kids. So for a long time, we're trying to figure, wait for like just the right time to go, like, are, is our youngest old enough? Um, but we finally decided like, let's just, let's just make it happen. And we just, my family and I went to, to Vietnam and um, spent three weeks with my grandmother and it was the most wonderful trip we, we've ever taken. And now it's like, right after we did that, the next year is when COVID hit. So we're like, if we hadn't done that at that time and just like, made it happen, who knows if it ever would have happened, right? So like my mom wants to get back to Vietnam now to visit, but because of vaccines and because of everything, it's not possible. So I'm grateful that in that, in that case, we didn't wait and we, um, and I don't live with that regret. Yeah. Oh my gosh. What an amazing story. I have goosebumps. Like I'm, I'm glad you went too, you know, uh, you really don't know what's going to happen. Okay, well, I have a lightning round. It's just some random questions thrown together to get to know you better. <laughs> okay, so uh, number one, did you pick up any hobbies during the pandemic? Um, yeah, I actually, one of the great things about being out here in San Diego is I took up surfing for the first time. Wow. Um, uh, that, that was one thing, once the beaches opened up, it was like, it was actually possible to do and social distance. <laughs> um, uh, I have to admit, I am absolutely terrible at it, <laughs> but it's one of those things where like you can be terrible and just like still have a great time and it's a great workout. And I just love being by the beach and being by the ocean. So, um, so if you see me out there, um, wiping out and taking the tumble, just know that I'm actually having a great time. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. I've always wanted to try it, but yeah, a little intimidated. So it's, it's on the list. Um, what, I know you're new to San Diego, you moved here right before the pandemic, but I mean, what are some of your favorite things about it so far? Um, like most people, I say just the proximity to the ocean is just, uh, amazing. Um, I, people always assumed and always guessed that I was from California. I grew up in Connecticut and I always took that as a sign, as a, as a good thing that, um, apparently I gave off a California vibe. So just being around here, everything feels a little bit more relaxed than DC where we where we were living and um, I really appreciate just the the sense of openness that's out here and um, whenever I hit like writer's block or hit like a, um, a mental block if I have time I'll just drive hop on the eight and drive down to the ocean and just like walk on the beach and just like take in that sense of enormity with the ocean and kind of like put things back into perspective so yeah, there's a lot about San Diego that I'm looking forward to exploring. Like we moved here in December, right before COVID. So we really were like just unpacking, getting the, the kids in school and just about ready to like Im immerse ourselves in San Diego culture and community when everything kind of closed down. So um, we're looking forward to hopefully things continue to, to move in the right direction and we can, we can start making those connections and exploring a little bit more. Have you found good Vietnamese food in San Diego? Um, we have some, but the, the best Vietnamese food I've had so far is my mom finally got to come out and visit for a few weeks. So she, she stayed Oh, that's not fair. <laughs> and, 
And it's funny because now we'll try to go out for Vietnamese and my boys are like, but it's not. It's not grandma's. <laughs> not boss, So um, yeah, we, we were lucky to, to have that. I've been working on trying to replicate my mom's cooking and I've gotten like eight out of 10 scores from my kids. So I'm getting close. It's not quite please, there, but, please. Um, but, uh, but I'll, I'll take it as a win. You're so but I, I know there's great Vietnamese food here. So I'm looking forward to, to getting to, to know where the, the spots are. You're going to have to post the recipe when you figure it out with, with your mom's permission, of course, maybe on your website. Um, okay. If someone was to play you in a biopic, who would you want it to be? Hmm. That is a great question. Um, even though he's not um, Vietnamese, let's see, the, the actor, the, <laughs> one of the, the few like really positive Asian American um, actors I remember growing up was Rufio from Hook. Yeah. So I would totally be down for, for Dante Bosco playing me in a movie. <laughs> I could totally see that. Yeah, Ruf oh, Rufio was so great. Maybe the, not with the red mohawk. The feathers, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, that's a great answer. What is your favorite adult book? Um, my favorite adult book is this book that my father gave me called Musashi, which is a Japanese samurai epic. Um, and it's one of those books that I kind of revisit every two to three, five years. Um, what I love about it is it's about this warrior and his journey to become like the greatest swordsman of his time. But his journey to become the greatest swordsman includes like learning to become a painter, learning to become a farmer, learning to become a poet, and how all those different um, ways of honing yourself and your spirit kind of lead to that same goal of like becoming the best person you can be. Um, and so it's like, for me, it's like, even though it's set in Japan, that idea of like being a Renaissance person and having wide interests um, and just like a different conception of what it means to be a, a warrior in that way was really fun because a lot of times you see samurai movies or like old kung fu movies and it's just about the fighting right so it has something that was a little bit more nuanced and kind of gave like a broad brush um picture of of that journey is something that I, I like to come back to a lot yeah what is your personal takeaway of that story how do you try to apply it to your own life um for me I feel like if if my goal is to be the best writer I can be, um, I think that also means being the best father I can be, being the best partner I can be, being the best um, member of the community that I can be because it's all tied together. And it's like, I feel like a lot of times people think of writing as just this solitary exercise um, and you're just holed up um, in a room writing, which a lot of times it is, but if you lose focus of like that broader sense of humanity and just interest in the world, then I think you're going to you're going to cut off your um, potential as a writer as well, right? So I think having writing be part of a broader picture of how you engage with the world is kind of how I use those same concepts um, in my day to day. If that makes sense. At least that's what I, I hope for sometimes. I'm not always successful. <laughs> okay, well, speaking of being a dad, I saw on your website, you were named like one of the coolest dads. There was some kind of list, coolest dads list, and you ended up on it. What was that about? 
So there's a website called fatherly.com and they put out a list of 100 coolest dads in the US. Um, and I'm not sure how I got on their radar, but at the top was LeBron James. Um, <laughs> near somewhere else was President Barack Obama and I was right above, right, right, in, right in the mix. Um, so I was, yeah, it was, it was great to, to be considered on a, on a list like that. I think they, um, in the description, they called me like the sweet wonk because I was an author and a policy. Oh, that's great. So I'm at a, luckily I didn't, my kids are at an age where they still do think I'm cool. So I'm going to lean into that for as long as I can before, before things change. How old are your kids now? They are nine and six. Oh, wow. I mean, they're absolutely wonderful. And so how do you teach them, um, you know, about culture or just sort of, you know, about, about life lessons that you cover in your, in your books? Um, I mean, we, I run every book that I, or story that I want to put out there by them and kind of get a, get a sense of whether I'm, I'm being true to, like, again, like my audience, like kids. Um, but I think a lot of the books, <laughs> there was actually a librarian on Twitter recently um, or a couple years ago that, that pointed out, she's like, hey, man, I think I've got you pegged. All of your books are either about the power of books and creativity or the importance of family and community. And I was like, A, I think you're, <laughs> you do have <laughs> And B, if that's what your takeaway is from the books I've written, then I feel like that's a total win for, for me. And like, that's, those are the kinds of things I want to put out in the world, right? So like I said, with um, as far as trying to impart that to my boys, it's that's all part and parcel of just being around and being a dad and trying to like how I engage with the world. Um, my hope is to be as present for them as possible, um, even if I have to travel and just like always make sure that they know that family for me is a priority and everything kind of comes from that, right? Everything kind of um, is a is a everything that I hope to achieve with them and in the world starts at home. Um, and I want that to, to be something that they take to heart and that they have confidence in, in that. A lot of the books I write also, I'd say, delve into themes of, of Buddhism and mindfulness because that's the background I grew up with. So the idea of being mindful and being present in your, in your moment is something that I always struggle with and I'm on my phone way too much, but I, I make it a point to try to put it away and and to to make the effort to to model that for them as much as possible so for me it's mostly just trying to be around as much as i can being present when i am around and just trying to um put the be, be a an actual live model for the the behaviors that i hope they they pick up along the way well, mindfulness was a perfect segue into my last question, which uh, you have a couple new projects coming out. I just read it. There was some news posted today. One is called Enlighten Me and the other call is called The New Immortals. What can you tell us about that? Um, yeah, so Enlighten Me is a graphic novel that's coming out that I'm working on right now. And it's with I'm doing it with this amazing um, illustrator, um, Chan Chao, and their, their art is fantastic. And the the book is kind of, based on this premise, for the longest time I had in my head that I wanted to figure out how to write a story set at a silent meditation retreat. I just felt like that would be like a really interesting um, puzzle to, to solve. And so a publisher approached me a while ago and asked if I would do a graphic novel memoir. Um, 
And at the time I was like, I don't know if I feel um, legit enough to do like a straight up memoir. But I was like, I did go to the silent meditation retreat when I was a kid and I had this idea for a story. So the story is about a boy who has like, he's kind of like me, he was shy and has his, um, he's always in his head. And he and his family go to a silent meditation retreat. And as he's trying to meditate, his mind kind of wanders and his imagination goes wild. Um, but then for the kids at the silent meditation retreat, a uh, Buddhist nun on the there takes them aside and holds kind of like an informal story time for them. So the kids aren't talking, but the, the nun is. And she shares the Chitaka tales, which are stories about the Buddha's past lives. And so as she's telling these stories, the, the character imagines himself in each of these stories and kind of um, through those stories grapples with some of his own issues and demons. And I guess the, the takeaway is that the irony being that it's at a silent meditation retreat that he ends up like finding his own voice and kind of like um, learning things about himself. Um, the, the New Immortals is another graphic novel that is um, kind of inspired by Asian mythologies, but completely made up. Like it's not based on anything in specific, particular, but the, the main thing is that it's about a, a story that a grandmother passes on to her granddaughter about a warrior from the past who is given the choice between immortality and invincibility. So either you will, you can't be killed, but you would be eventually die of old age, or you would live forever, but you could potentially die of disease or, or getting falling off a cliff or something like that. So for me, it was like kind of like an intellectual exercise of like what would, um, what is your conception of immortality or like or the idea of living forever um, and like how you conceive of leaving an imprint on the on the world. And it was like a fun thing to to play around with. Um, but the other picture book that I'm working on that is related to all that is there's a really well-known Zen well-known Zen Buddhist monk named Thich Han. Um, and he actually has a meditation retreat up in um, Escondido. Um, and I was asked by his publisher to write his um, authorized children's book biography. Wow. So that's something that I've been working on as well. So like all these themes um, and all these aspects of like family, community, religion have all kind of um, come together to, to allow me to kind of really live the dream as an author. That is incredible. Okay, well, I have to ask invincibility or immortality? I think I would probably go with, hmm, I, that's funny, I wrote this book, I didn't even think about one <laughs> I think I'll go with invincibility because um, then I don't have to worry about outliving all the people that, that I love and can just like focus on not, live, not having any fears while I am on this, on this planet and have the time that I have. <laughs> but ask me tomorrow, I might have the, a different answer. So, <laughs> Okay, Minlay, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to, um, to becoming more of a um, presence and learning more about San Diego. Thank you for listening to Name Drop San Diego. If you know of someone locally that you'd like to learn more about, drop me a line at namedropsd at gmail.com. I'm your host, Christy Totten. We'll be back next week.